Hey everybody, listen. Moment we've all been waiting for, right? Last dance documentary, docu-series, analysis and review, Sports Psych MD's podcast style. What's good, Tori? Yep. What's going on, man? We brought you the Phil Jackson and the role-playing episode. This one's about the GOAT, Michael Jordan. We're diving into all those traits we talked Two, three, about. And guess what? Three, six. Michael Jordan had them all. What's up? Let's go. Cue the music. Do you feel me? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, hey Bridget, uh, one time. Do you feel me? Do, do you feel me? Do you feel me? Do you feel me? Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I led you to believe it was easy when it wasn't. Maybe I made you think my highlights started at the free throw line and not in the gym. Maybe I made you think that every shot I took was a game winner. That my game was built on flash and not fire. Maybe it's my fault that you didn't see that failure gave me strength, that my pain was my motivation. Maybe I led you to believe that basketball was a God-given gift and not something I worked for every single day of my life. Maybe I destroyed the game. Or maybe you're just making excuses. All right, all right. So episode number 23. Uh, I like that. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Oh yeah, yeah you know, no. might as well be, because yeah. that's mostly what we're going to be talking about today. You know, the big, the big twenty-three, the one and only twenty-three in the game of basketball. You know, and really worldwide when you think about it, right? I mean, worldwide when you you consider what the number twenty-three represents, the first thing that comes to mind for most people is going to be the great, legendary, the one and only Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we were blessed. Whew, oh, my gosh. What a... We, wow. That docu-series is what they call it now? Yeah. That was legendary. The Last Dance, man. Whew. So yeah. we were we were both very fortunate to be able to witness and watch uh, Michael Jordan play in his prime. I was a little young during that first three-peat. Uh, I was born in 87, so missed out a little bit on those early years. Um, but I caught that that last three-peat. Those were some of my first experiences watching professional sports and yeah. captivated ever since. And this documentary, whew, or docu-series, it was amazing. It was great. So we wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about role players. We talked about the Scottie Pippins, the Dennis Rodman. We talked about the glue that held it all together, Phil Jackson. And today, episode 36 is all about Michael Jordan. Michael Jeffrey Jordan, like you said, number 23. Whew. And it's, it's going to be fun. I'm excited about this one. I've never been, I haven't been this excited for a, for an episode in a while, to be honest. Well, yeah. I mean, they really brought it. Talk about, you know, like special delivery during this pandemic, you know, during, during this really tough time. The last, what, uh, four or five weeks, every, every Sunday, you know, has been uh, something to look forward to. And they really didn't disappoint. 
they definitely allowed us start to finish during this rough time with with not a lot of sports on without sports for a couple months i know the ufc just came back something to look forward to it was like a live event people were tweeting about it at the time um it was awesome and I had no idea they had filmed his last season. They had a camera crew to follow him in 1998. Phil Jackson termed that season, the last dance. And, and God bless those guys for, for and the director and everyone, the ESPN, Netflix, Bob Iger, Disney, everyone, Michael Jordan, who put this thing together. And, and it was, it was great. It was amazing. No, yeah, no, it was greatness all over again, right on display. I mean, what some, what it's been, 20 years, uh, you know, since Michael Jordan was on the basketball court, you know, a little less than that, I guess. But it, it's it's amazing how even 20 years later, you know, he, he graces this the stage, you know, and just provides another another legendary championship exactly. performance. It was gratifying. It's gratifying for us who, who witnessed it to just to relive it again, and for me to see those young, the younger Jordan and all his glory. I didn't get when I was like three or four. I didn't, didn't quite have the cognitive abilities to maintain that. But also for those individuals, those kids growing up who only know Jordan as the crying meme, to realize, or they see twenty three and they think LeBron James, but they, now they can realize that this guy, Jumpman, he's not just a logo. He doesn't just create one of the best shoes of all time, but he's. He was a hell of a basketball player. That hell of a, whew. hell of a player, hell of a player. Um, yeah, I mean, he he redefined the sport in so many ways. I mean, he 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 of course assumed the baton from the the Bird Magic era, um, you know, in which you had sort of two kings, and uh, you know, after you know, kind of standing and waiting for a couple of years, developing right as an athlete during the Pistons era, right? The Detroit Pistons, the bad boy era. We're gonna get into all that. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, usher in this, wow, this um, just iconic, this brand new iconic era in, in basketball that really not only changed the landscape of that sport in a, in a significant way, but because of the timing, right, and and sort of the the confluence of cultural forces between basketball, you know, on one side from the sports brand, right, and then hip hop on the other end with you know the music and entertainment brand. Oh man, I mean, he was just sort of like the the leader of of this enormous movement mm-hmm. that happened in the 90s and so to kind of relive all that man it's just it's just it's been incredible yeah he was on the forefront ushering in this new new era of superstar athlete he redefined what it meant to be a superstar athlete he became a, a, an icon on the same level as princess diane and the pope i don't think anyone was more famous than him um, when he was at Crazy. at his peak and so today we're going to really kind of go through the chronologically, um, but really focusing on his, his family, his childhood, his roots, is that foundation that created his confidence, his, his drive to win, which is insane. Everyone who's seen the documentary knows this. Uh, we're going to rehash some of that, but we're, we're, all, we're always going to kind of tie it back into these, these traits, these foundational, these building blocks of resilience. 
and we're going to relate everything he's been through and how he's exemplified resilience, exemplified self-awareness, confidence, passion. Yeah, all the things we talk about. Exactly. Always come back to this and, you know, and, and how in the end, you know, his story and, and sort of the, the, true, the true mark of his legacy and his, his, his craftsmanship, um, you know, as a, as a champion was through mental fitness, right? Just mastering the game, starting out with physical dominance, but ultimately in the end, you know, uh, it all coming together with being able to control the game with his mind mm -hmm. and, and his, his, you know, his mental toughness and, and yeah. ultimately, like you said, his resilience. Yeah, he exemplified everything that we've talked about. So let's get into it. You know, let's, let's talk a little bit about that foundation, his family. It, that's where it starts. It starts with your family. It starts with your genetics. Absolutely. Um, this is someone who had a very strong core nucleus of a family. He was born in, well, he's actually born in New York, but very briefly spent all of his childhood in Wilmington, outside of Wilmington, North Carolina. And his family, the Jordans, they were well entrenched in that, in that city, in that area in the South, it was somewhere where there was five generations of Jordans before him. If you go back to his great, great grandfather, John Jordan, he was born a slave in 1862. And through that lineage over the years, it just kind of shows the, the perseverance of his family. And, and those, those traits carry on within him, even though he wasn't there back then. And he, even though he didn't grow up with Jim Crow laws and all these tough things going on in the South at that time, his family did. And a lot of that sets that kind of genetic code and that foundation for a lot of what he's shown throughout his entire career. And I think ultimately you see that with his relationship with his family, with his hometown. Um, oh, he, he owns... He owns the Charlotte Hornets now. He owns a team, an NBA team in his, yeah. his home state. Right there. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, gosh, you know, I think I think Jordan, much like Kobe, you know, we talked about in the past. Uh, Jordan, let it be known uh, throughout his career, uh, you know, and certainly like in the end, um, you know, when he's sort of at that ring ceremony, you know, the championship parade in front of, you know, the, all the, the screaming fans of Chicago. He said, my heart, my soul, my love has always been and will always be, no matter what happens, will always be with the city of Chicago, right? This was like sort of his, uh, you know, walk off the stage, uh, right off into the sunset moment for the city of, of Chicago after he won that sixth championship, you know, ultimately culminating the, the last dance series. Man, it was sort of like, you know, remember that movie Gladiator, right? Oh, yeah. Russell Crowe. Remember that we'll movie? Flying around the world. Braveheart, right? 300, mm -hmm. where it's like the leader stands before his people. And, you know, he gives that sort of triumphant speech. Everybody's quiet, you know, and just hanging on his every word. And, and he's basically, you know, kind of giving 
calm and stability and peace of mind to the city to say, hey, you guys are going to be okay. You know, yeah, this is this may be our last dance, but you know, Chicago's going to be okay. And and I'll always you know, he be left that you. town a, a hero. Mm-hmm. A hero. I like how you you fast forwarded to him being in Chicago, and who, who would have thought someone who had never stepped foot in Chicago until he was drafted by them and joined their team that this small town country boy from Wilmington, North Carolina, could achieve those types of heights, uh, reach that type of pinnacle where he was in complete control of maybe what the third or fourth most impactful city in in America. Um, But it wasn't just Chicago. So long before that. So let's, I want to talk a little bit about his father. So his father, James Jordan, uh, Air Force, a fellow uh, alum of the Air Force. That's wild. Uh, Yeah, no, it's great. Like you, Dr. And And it makes sense, man. Like, you know, having a military background myself, I can imagine that that he really was concerned about discipline for his children and discipline in, in the sense of like preparing them for life in terms of, you know, doing things the right way, mm-hmm. uh, hard work, sacrifice, yeah. dedication, you know, mm-hmm. uh, dependability. Yeah, and that's who his father was, was someone that was dependable and reliable. He he worked at a electrical factory. He was a supervisor. He, he Michael Jordan came from an, like an upper middle class, working class family. Uh, his mother also worked. She was a bank teller, Dolores Jordan. And they provided their children with a lot. Michael had four siblings. And like, like you mentioned, both his mother and his father kind of set the tone with their own individual work ethics that I'm sure they learned from their parents and the parents before them. And that was the number one thing they preached. And his mom even ended up writing children's books later on. And and so you got a real insight into her parenting philosophy where she, that's cool. She talked, she was a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. She was a teacher, educator, mm -hmm. an educator. Wow. And one of her, one of the things she said is um, saying you want something is fine and well, a good start, but doing something about it is what really counts. So it was all about action and it was all about working hard towards your goals in order to achieve your goals and not letting anything get in your way of achieving those goals. Oh, I love that. I love that. And har- yeah, no. That's hard great. work. Hard work. We yeah. can't preach this enough is, is the number one thing that they taught Michael and his siblings. And there's been several books written about Michael Jordan. There's a book called the history of flight where the author goes into detail about how a lot of individuals and especially individuals who grew up in the country or grew up in rural areas, grew up in the South hard work. They see as the only portal or the only way to elevate yourself out of whatever circumstances you're in. The only way to get yourself out of the dirt. Good old fashioned American values, you know? Um, Yeah. You know, the, Heart and soul, the heart and soul of American tradition. Yeah, no, I, I get it, man. And, and, and that's really the, the type of work ethic that I think resonates for, for a community when they, they look you know, towards another to be a hero, right? Yeah, yeah, because hard, hard work is the one thing that you can preach as much about hard work as you can, but if, if you lead by example, there's, I don't, in my opinion, there's nothing more impactful than that, than seeing someone truly working hard to achieve a goal. Yeah, exactly. And that, that becomes infectious. 
other things it represents that, your own values right? mm -hmm. and what you yeah, believe in. there's not that's cross cultures there's not anywhere where hard work doesn't doesn't pay off or hard work isn't a virtue or something you should aspire to do other yeah. things that they 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 preached or they taught is try to your best to control only what you can control growing up in the south as as an african-american is difficult you're gonna there's obviously racism in this country and specifically in the south and what they tried to teach Michael and his siblings was that that doesn't matter if you can control what you can control and you just work hard. Maybe because of the circumstances, you might have to work harder than other individuals, but you're just work hard and things will come your way out of that hard work. And then always turning negatives into positives. And we've talked about this with regards to reframing, having that negative filter, and it's helpful to, to have episodes of gratitude in order to get rid of that negative filter, have a positive filter. And then that in turn creates momentum. And those, yeah. those are simple things. Awareness. Yeah. What you're, what you're describing is, you know, self-awareness and then the hard work, recognition of the hard work, enthusiasm around like how the hard work is paying off. Right. That generates the gratitude, you know, that generates the now awareness and, and, and understanding of, hey, I'm getting better. And, and that builds confidence, yeah. that builds confidence, you know, exactly. and that's, that's how the momentum gets going. Yeah. And as a kid, like we mentioned before, you model after your parents. So if you, you see your dad working hard at his job and he comes home and he's, he's working on cars, which oftentimes Michael's dad did. And Michael's dad would have his tongue out while he worked on cars. So that's where Michael had the patented right. tongue out when he would play. Yeah. So, so he modeled that hard work. They only, they didn't just preach it. They actually did it in their practices. And he, he took that to heart. And as a matter of fact, there's stories written about how Michael Jordan, MJ, the goat, whatever he was, they say he was kind of a lazy kid. He didn't like working on cars. He just liked to explore, kind of be, a country boy running around in the woods, mm -hmm. cutting down trees, getting into pig pens, uh, getting into fights and doing all these different things that, that country boys do. And the other thing that's important to mention is he had four siblings. He had an, two older brothers. He had one older brother that was just 11 months older than him. And that was uh, Larry Jordan. And this was someone who for someone, I have a brother that's about 13 months older than me. So I know this, you, you're kind of attached to the hip early on. You model yourself not only after your parents, but after your older brother and Michael Jordan's older brother in this case, super athletic kid. So he's playing sports with him. And this is kind of, I think initially where he developed that competitive nature because him and his brothers, it would compete with regards to anything and everything. Yeah. And the rumor has it, Larry Jordan was a better ball player than, MJ when, hey, when they were kids. Hey, you know, and the great thing about having siblings, right? They bring out the best in you. You bring out the best in them. You bring out the worst in each other. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that rough and tumble, you know, it, it, it is actually character shaping, especially, you know, it, when it's done in a loving environment. And, you know, that, that character building, you know, one of the things I, I think it, it really leads to is this this notion of of truth right truth and honesty right truth and honesty about you know who you are right like what your limitations are what you can and cannot do like you keep each other honest mm -hmm. as siblings yeah. right that's part of the that's part of the role 
Um, and But it's important for character development to have these interactions so that when you're now out in the real world, you're working with teams, groups, right? You know who you are mm-hmm. right from the start. Yep. And it makes things so much easier. Exactly. So I think in that sense, Michael Jordan was able to identify who he was, find his identity, find, find his security as a child growing up in this rural town because he had this strong family unit this strong holding environment, like we mentioned, the strong anchor. And he had his older brother who was a measuring stick. He competed against him. He knew how well he was doing based off whether or not he could beat his brother. And oftentimes he got beat by his brother. Unfortunately yeah. for his brother, his brother only grew to be five seven. So Michael Jordan ended up overtaking him in, in yeah, regards course, to, yeah. to sports because of that um, when he finally outgrew him. But with his parents, with his siblings, that's that strong nucleus. He was able to have these social, strong social bonds with his family, the strong identity to his, where he grew up because he's out exploring in the woods and doing all these different things. Um, so his identity was based in his, not only just his family, but also his, where he grew up. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's, those are the foundational pieces for how, why he became so confident and why he became so secure in himself because of this. And, also why he became so competitive because him and his brother at the, and Michael was actually quoted in saying this. I don't think from a competitive standpoint, I would be here without the confrontations with my brother. Larry, he's talking about Larry. Um, mm-hmm. He said, yeah. when you come, when you come to blows with someone you absolutely love, that's igniting every fire within you. And I always felt I was fighting Larry for my father's attention. Mm-hmm. So those sibling hey, rivalries, man. Actions speak louder than words, you know, and all those kinds of lessons are taught, you know, through sibling rivalries and, you know, how like your, your relationship with your parents uh, is, is influenced by, by those things. And, you know, and, and again, you know, it, it's, it's ultimately character building, as you said. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, it's the kind of thing that really influences us at, at every stage of development. So MJ, uh, I think one thing that's really interesting about his story, a lot of people know about is the story of uh, how he entered high school, right? Um, so like, I, if I, I remember correctly, so he, he played baseball first as a, as a young mm-hmm. athlete, right? And then- Oh, he was a stud uh, pitcher. Yeah, he was. Almost he was. made it to the Little League World Series. And his dad was all about baseball. Um, really, really mm-hmm. did uh, love baseball and inspired a, a passion for baseball in MJ. Um, and I don't know, maybe he was so focused on, on baseball that he didn't take basketball as seriously because um, he didn't make varsity his sophomore year. And his best, so, his best friend at the time did. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Uh, that that had to have been tough. Yeah, that had so to be tough to do. That right there, and he's mentioned this. That was like I think the moment for him. That was a turning point for him, um, and that's almost where he started developing this hit list, so to speak, where he takes every slight and adds it as fuel to the fire of his competitive drive. Oh, co- this coach doesn't think I'm good enough to play on varsity. I'm going to prove him wrong. And guess what he did? He he played awesome on the JV 
and was brought up to the varsity the next year. Just so happens he grew four inches in between his sophomore and junior year. Um, and he was a stud. He was an absolute stud. Come to find out that the coach really just wanted him to play on the JV to act because he, he knew he was good, but he wanted him to actually get playing time and develop his skills. Um, so it wasn't just that he didn't see the talent in MJ, but he wanted him to to, to get a little bit more PT. Before we move into his the next phase, I wanted to, going back to this sibling rivalry, it's important, mm-hmm. like it could go one way or the other. The important thing is when you're vying for your parents' attention is how do you get your parents' attention? Is the parent going to give you attention based off something superficial or frivolous? Um, or is your parent going to be someone who, like you said, is dependable and reliable and staying true to their their own words about work ethic? And it's my assumption that his parents gave him validation and attention when they saw that Michael Jordan was, when they saw MJ was working hard and putting in effort. And Absolutely. that is that's that reinforcement. Um, and you can do that through athletics, through sports, mm-hmm. through your performance. You know, you, you can really show what you can do on a court, on a field, you know, with respect to how you perform against peers, you know, especially, especially if you have a, a parent who's been an athlete themselves or who's been a performer themselves, military uh, person, you know, that's, that's going to, that's going to look really good. Yeah. And in that instance where he gets cut from the varsity team, he comes home and I read in the, that he, he was talking about quitting, crying. And his mom was like, Hey, it must be heartbreaking. it's all about hard work. If you really want it, work for it. I don't want to see you quit. Yeah. I wonder how his dad, you know, cause you know, it, it was, what's interesting about, uh, MJ and, and his particular sort of upbringing and development is that he, he seemed to be a guy. And I think he probably he was, 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 I think open about this in the last dance series. I think he might've been closer to his dad, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure he loved his parents both the same, you know, but it seemed like he might've actually had a closer bond or, or relationship with his father. Yeah. Um, and maybe even a, just a kind of a complex attachment, you know, with his dad. Yeah. His father was definitely his anchor throughout the years was with him everywhere. Um, yeah. When he was, even when the pros playing professionally with the bulls. So, kind of throughout this process, like we mentioned, cut from his team the sophomore year, kind of a late bloomer. Um, he's not someone who's uh, who has the whole world's attention from day one, like a Zion or a LeBron James. This guy, he had to work hard. So he grew up in North Carolina, obviously home of University of North Carolina and Duke, two of the most prominent college basketball programs in the nation. He didn't really get on their radar till till later on in his, in his high school career. And he wasn't Mr. North Carolina. Um, it was one of the he summer camps. Kyle Williamson. No, no. He, he wasn't he, that guy. He, he didn't have like the YouTube tapes, you mean? No, no. And that he was way before tapes. that. But that there was a guy like that. And that was Buzz Peterson. He was yeah. Mr. North Carolina. He was the blue chip recruit that was going into North Carolina. And just so happens Michael Jordan crossed paths with them at a, at a, uh, at a summer camp. And that was his new measuring stick. It was no longer... Uh, his older brother was no longer just making his varsity team. It was like, okay, this guy is a McDonald's All-American. This guy is oh, Mr. Okay. North Carolina basketball. Yeah. He's going to UNC. The chip. That's the yeah. chip. Yeah. So right I'm going to, com- I'm better than this guy. I'm going to compare myself to this guy. 
And that's what he did. He ended up, they both ended up going to North Carolina. They they roomed together. Uh, they became best friends, but How that was the guy. That? Yeah. <laughs> that was the guy he what was kind of psychological warfare went on in that room. I exactly. <laughs> so he was, it's kind of funny because he was actually first recruited by Roy Williams, who was like a lowly assistant at the time at North Carolina, but it was Dean Smith's yeah. program. For any of you guys that know, don't know Dean Smith, very, this is someone well-respected, extremely organized, ex- extremely regimented, oh, yeah. very controlled environment. One of the greatest basketball coaches uh, yeah. in college basketball history. So if, if we're talking, if we're talking about how his family and his hometown created the foundation that that his own personal identity, uh, that's where he developed his competitive competitiveness at North Carolina. That's where he had the structure to polish his basketball skills and, and create his basketball identity on the court. This was a team, a program that preached team over the individual, respect for the team, respect for the game, respect for the opponent, respect for authority, discipline and selflessness are going to help not only on the court, but off the court as well. And above all winning, mm-hmm. they were a winning program. Yeah. I mean, extremely winning program but if you there's a quote from james worthy who was also was a teammate of michael jordan's at unc hall of famer for the lakers he said there's a long list of things that dean smith can teach you and basketball was at the bottom of the list so dean smith really while he created an amazing basketball program it was more about creating individuals that that could succeed in life and it was due to this discipline and selflessness he also preached to your point about dependability and reliability. He preached consistency and not to play off emotions, but to be consistent and to be reliable. He treated every player equal and there was a hierarchy with regards to the system. So freshmen rarely played. You had to earn your stripes, prove that you're a team player, but Jordan hey, like, I mean, was, was only a lot of talent around him though. right? Yeah, I mean, he James... was in the, the, James Worthy era at UNC. Sam Perkins. He was in the Sam Perkins era. You know, they were these are <clears throat> these guys were champions. You know, oh, all yeah. around them, all around yeah. them. So, so then the team was built to spread the ball around. Not something you would think of like for a Michael Jordan type team, but he Jordan was so polished coming in. He ended up starting as a freshman, only the fourth ever to start as a freshman in the history of North Carolina. This is hard to imagine nowadays with college basketball. It seems like everyone's. You get these freshmen that come in and play one and done, the Zions, you know. Most guys see it in college at least three, four years back then, right? Yeah. Other things he taught was they taught him how to um, be an adult. When you you interact with the media, look them straight in the eyes. Make eye contact. Simple things like that that really were building that structure and that basketball identity and really polishing Michael Jordan. So very fortunate to go to a program like this. And he mentions it time and time again. Uh, what happens this freshman year? He hits the game-winning shot in the national championship game. A sign of things to come. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, and you could tell even then, he was a guy that, that just, he embraced the moment. You know, other guys just kind of running around, you know, in the last 30 seconds of the game, really seemingly probably trying to avoid contact with the basketball. Mm-hmm. You had this guy, he's, he's like, you know, just, Let I mean, get he, he can't yeah. wait. He can't, he just, he, he's, you know, he wants nothing more yep. to take that shot. They had to really reel him in. They, they had to, but it worked well because he, his parents, very structured, 
kind of God-fearing individuals. And then he goes into a program like North Carolina. It's very structured and kind of just adds on to that foundation for him. And he excelled at North Carolina, polished his game and played three years at North Carolina. Actually, he actually, Dean Smith actually told him, Hey, it's your time. Go ahead and go leave for the NBA. I don't want you coming back for your senior year. His mom really wanted him to go back, obviously, part of that work ethic is to finish things that you started. So she really wanted him to get a degree, but after talking with the coach, they decided it was in his best interest to, to go to the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that was good looking out coach, uh, coach Smith. Um, yeah. And, and he ended up, but interestingly, <laughs> he, he wasn't the number one pick. No. Uh, I mean, yeah. even though he was the national college player of the year mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in basketball, he wasn't number one pick. He was not the number yeah. one pick. Yeah. And that was back in the day where they really, like, a lot of people were saying, um, you can't win a championship building built with your team built around a guard. You have to have a big man. It was all about the big men back then. Yeah. Unless that guard was, was Magic Johnson, right? And yeah. he could, like, run an offense as a point guard, you know, and he could obviously facilitate and all that. And But then you still had to have a big man in the mix, you know, to throw it down low. That was dominant. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a different basketball was just different uh, mm-hmm. when when Michael Jordan came into the league, and well, he made it different yeah. um, <laughs> when he came into the league because you know he was just a, a force yeah. uh, from day one. He helped change no the one game. Really man. knew what to do with him. No one knew. What so to even do. before he even stepped, he gets drafted third overall by the Bulls. Before he even steps on an NBA floor. He plays in the Olympics, 1984 Olympics, and coached by another legend, Bob Knight, the Indiana University legend, go Hoosiers, my uh, alma mater, and they won gold. So he's coached by Dean Smith, Roy Williams, and Bob Knight before he even plays an NBA game. Special. Yeah. Yeah, he, special. He talks about early on his career, it was a struggle adjusting to the Chicago Bulls because they had poorer facilities and poorer setup than North Carolina had. No structure, new coaches for the, his first three years. Um, it was a mess when he first became a bull. But, you know, I, I feel like in many ways uh, he wouldn't have had it any other way, um, you know, in terms of where his legacy should start. Mm-hmm. That's just like any any true craftsman, right? You, you want to start from scratch, man. Yeah. You don't want to have a, a blank canvas. Yeah. So third pick in the draft. A lot of hype around him, but not too much. Once he started playing, though, the hype started to build. You have you, his first year. You have Magic Johnson and Larry Bird taking notice. They're 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 complimenting how great and unique and special he is, and <laughs> you 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 see that. So his first year was good. The second year seems like things are starting to heat up. He broke his foot like in the second game of the season. Hold on, what, did, what, did, what did Larry Bird call him again? Jesus. Yeah, this was later though. God on, uh, yeah, God, yeah, God on the basketball court. Yeah, (laughs) that was so. That was this following year. That's what I'm getting into. So, okay, he breaks his foot. This is where the the issues with upper management first started. He broke his foot second game in of the second year, eighty five, eighty six season. The general management probably makes the right decision. Hey, you are you're our prize player. Take this season out. Let's tank. Let's get a good draft pick next year. No, that's not what MJ wants to do. We know him already, super competitive. Stories about him as a kid, always wanting to win and card games and, and always yeah. wanting to win against his brother and friends. So, no, he wants to win. He wants to make the playoffs. 
So he comes back. The GM is begrudged about him coming back. They make it in the playoffs, get the eight seed, get the the Celtics, who one of, some people say is one of the best teams of all time that year, um, and puts on an epic performance in game two, scores uh, still an NBA record for playoff points in playoffs, 63. And that's when Larry that. Bird's, yeah. 63 points in a playoff game against arguably the best team ever. Yeah, and Larry, that's when Larry Bird said after the game, quote unquote, that was God disguised as Michael Jordan. And that's the year they went on to win the championship over mm-hmm. Magic's Lakers. Yeah. 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 So you knew that you saw, that was the first time you saw his, I guess, hunger for excellence, his competitive drive, that singular need to win at the professional level when he, and his resilience, that's another. But he still couldn't win, you know, I mean, he still, he still couldn't get over the hump Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, but he was winning in terms of personal accolades, right? Um, yeah, is he like scoring a, champion at this point. No, so the, the, the cause, okay because the next year, his third year, he becomes scoring champion, and this okay. is when he had his highest points per game average his entire career. Scored thirty seven point one points per game. Only oh, the second, crazy. only the second player that ever ape shit that third second season. player ever to score three thousand points in a season, other than Will Chamberlain. So oh my god. That's and that's incredible. also that's that's they had a new coach that year, Doug Collins. This was his third coach in three years, and that was the year he was like, "Yo, coach, I'm not going to let you lose your first game." And he dropped 50 in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Legendary man. Yeah. Uh, and um, so he's just like racking up the uh, the personal achievements, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because he would have already won the slam dunk contest at this point. Um, yeah, he's already think, been an all-star for a couple of years, scoring champion. So, to heat up. Um, and then he wins the MVP the following year, right? Yep. Yep. So 87, 88, that was a huge year for the Bulls in general. So not only does Michael have his best season today, he's a scoring champ again, gets his first MVP, also his defensive MVP, and he makes it out of the first round of the playoffs. So that's basically the greatest individual season of any player in the history of basketball with the with regards to those accolades it, oh my god I mean, no absolutely i mean without individual a accolades there's first of all i don't think there's been any player that has done both i think it's the only time it's ever been done and defensive mvp right in, in yeah. nba history so yeah yeah so that same year they um, the bulls brought in phil phil jackson as an assistant coach who you, you know what happens there. They also drafted Scottie Pippen, fifth overall, and Horace Grant, tenth overall. And Key pieces. Oh, yeah. Critical definitely. role players right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, so these, they're starting to put the pieces together. So they get taken out by the Pistons that year in round two. And that's going to be a theme over the next couple of years. Because guess what? The fall is fifth year, 88-89, scoring champ again. This time they reach the Easter Conference Finals. One step closer, but they lose One the Pistons in closer. six. So hold on. Uh, so they, 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 they lost the Pistons in five games the first year. Six games the second year. Mm-hmm. And then in seven games, in, oh, yeah, back in, to back in, to back like that? Yeah, wow, in 89-90... 
that was so in that year they elevate Phil Jackson to head coach. Doug Collins is out. Phil Jackson implements Tex. This is a key part. He implements Tex Winters triangle offense. And guess what? He tells MJ, you're not going to be the scoring champion anymore. You're going to have to start spreading the ball around in order to win. You have players like Horace Grant and Scottie Pippen now that have been in the league a couple of years. They're they're better. You have a really great supporting cast. You got to trust them. And what did Michael? Well, listen, do? man. No, you're right. Because I mean, at this point, you're talking about he's had three shots at the same team, and in three years in a row, he's a scoring champion. And those three years, uh, he loses to the same team, but he gets better each year mm-hmm. uh, by one game. And then, mm-hmm. but it's still, but it's like it's still got a. I mean, three years in a row losing the same team, man. That's got to really, that's got to really bother you, man. It's like something's got to give at that point. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. Oh, that's got to test even you. Even for the right? goat. I mean, even for a guy yeah. that's that said to himself, and and this is, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, the the first time around at least when it comes to the goat conversations generally, or when it comes to the conversations around alpha, right? what constitutes an alpha you know it's like he's the scoring champion three years in a row i mean he's doing fine he's making all the money in the world you know uh, all the endorsements in the world at this point uh, mm-hmm. you know he he's mvp of the league he he could easily have taken his foot off the gas at this point and just rode it out and been you know he'd been fine yeah. oh yeah by this point he's got his his Air Jordans are out. He's making millions and million dollars off Nike and other endorsements. He's already the most popular player in the league at this point. So, and look, 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 look. They had his his guy, right? Uh, Doug Collins, right? They fired oh, yeah. him. He loved him, even when he was at the top of his you know his his career in terms of individual accomplishments. They they let Doug Doug Collins go, and and put put Phil Jackson in there, there are a lot of guys that, that may not have bought into that strategy. Oh yeah. Right. They would have looked at that and they would have said, man, like, what are you doing? Right. I mean, here's this guy. I love, I'm your guy. I'm your, your franchise player. You have a coach here. We're winning, right? Yeah. We're we're ascending. We got to the playoffs. We, yeah. Second round, you know, whatever conference finals. I'm at my best. What are you doing? I mean, what? Why? Why should I buy into this? Mm-hmm. Why should I take the ball out of my hands and I'm doing so well? So you know what that's I mean? just—that's huge. So that speaks to his. I think that speaks to his confidence in himself. His character. Know that his character. Exactly. Man. It speaks to his character. His security. Absolutely. No doubt. He, that's what it like, is. It's like if okay, I don't. What's the point of me being scoring champion if I'm not winning? And I think that goes back to what we all know as his intrinsic motivation is to win. That's what he wanted to do at all costs is to win. That's the only thing that mattered to Michael Jordan. And, and, and win the right way, you know, mm-hmm. so through hard work, sacrifice, commitment. He bought in know, because he values. trusted these individuals and, and ultimately it paid off. Um, that first year, Phil Jackson as the head coach, they took him to seven games, the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals. Just so happened Scotty had the migraine game in game seven, one for 10, two points. So that's tough. That's tough. Um, right how do you edge. trust? 
Yeah. How do you trust a teammate after that when you're that close? It's tough, man. Yeah. I mean, they actually talk, uh, they, so they highlight in episode seven and eight, uh, you know, a, a game later on. Um, I think it was actually, you know, sort of uh, at the, the tail end of that first run, you know, where Jordan retired, Scotty took over um, and he, he led the team. And there was a similar thing that happened where in a critical game, he wasn't given the opportunity to take uh, a potentially game-winning shot and you know because of the confidence that he thought his team uh, did not have in him by by giving that opportunity to Tony Kukoc he chose instead to sit out that play and um, and it sort of like set the tone I think uh, for a narrative around Scotty that you know sometimes he was unreliable in big moments because you know folks then remembered right what happened with what you're describing where you know years before that all of a sudden you know he has a, a migraine and in a big game against the Detroit Pistons when they really need him the most we need him the most right when Jordan mm -hmm. wasn't going to be enough uh and um and it's you know really unfortunate but yeah. Man, getting back on track with 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 MJ, it's like that uh, that had to really just man, it, it just had to throw salt in an already yeah. wound, and I think that's what what you know forged the motivation for him to go all in that summer. Yeah, man. yeah. So he new coach, it still doesn't work out, but you get one step closer. Your your go to teammate kind of lets you down a little bit at the end, but what does he, what do they do? What is, what are the, what does the whole team do that off season? They get right back in the gym and it's well-documented in the documentary. He starts weight training with Tim Glover who calls himself the sports enhancement specialist and what he does. And this is important to note, they do sports specific workouts. So working out more kind of upper body shoulders, putting on weight without losing that, that athletic ability, strengthening the muscles in the legs. So to prevent groin injuries and ankle injuries, what he had in the past and overall just putting on more muscle mass to withstand the punishment he was receiving from the Pistons. He gained over 20 pounds in like a year and a half. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. He had to, man. Um, he had to make a change and that's what he did. You know, he basically committed himself to, you know, a completely different workout program in the off season. And it, you know, it paid off. And let me tell you this other thing that he did that I think is what really made the difference. So the physical feat that he accomplished in terms of elevating his performance, of course, was what you described, the increase in muscle mass um, and the strength that he gained. Now, there was also, I think, a, a, a sort of, what I would consider to be a more of a mental fitness leap that he took as well uh, during that process. Because if you notice, and they talk a lot about this in the documentary, um, he became a different kind of leader, right? He became a guy that now wanted to really challenge his teammates and, and you know, really, um, I think, try to get the most out of the guys around him and recognizing that ultimately he could be great individually, but in order for him to become a champion, he was going to have to elevate the the play of uh, the guys around him, right? Yeah. The role players, 
his teammates, you know, his family, his, his brothers. And that, I think, is really what kind of transformed him into the, the MJ that we all really, really know about, right? That's definitely 100% what you'll see in his maturation through the years is definitely him getting his, trusting his teammates. And speaking to that mental fitness, in order to go straight back into the gym and work on something you've never done before in your career, even though you've been four-time scoring champion, MVP, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and took the NBA championship seven games, to realize, hey, I could still get better, um, that takes a hell of a lot of self-awareness, a hell of a lot of confidence in your abilities, um, ability to be aware of your weaknesses and wanting to strengthen those weaknesses and not just like fortifying your strengths. That's, those are resilience factors. That's, that speaks to his confidence. That yeah, speaks to him being man, mindful, mindful of what the moment requires. Absolutely. Mindfulness. And I think, that, but, you know, to be honest, man, I think that the mindfulness had really been there for a while. I think that what the leap that he took was all about was really now going from a strong self-awareness and confidence to now that gratitude piece, right? That that sort of like recognition of what what it took to get him there. It wasn't. It's never about just just him, right? It's never about just me. He's got a group of guys around him, you know, that are obviously putting in work on the defensive side first and foremost. You know, trying to in, in Scotty's case take on the other team's best best player. Right, so that MJ can get some rest and conserve his energy. That's a big deal. Guys that are like three point specialists like Steve Kerr who can serve. Well that's John that's don't you know? don't get don't don't interrupt well, John Paxson's era here. We're talking about well the, the early on here. John Paxson, whatever, BJ Armstrong, a lot of guys. Last dance was obviously, you know, more highlighting Steve Kerr, but you're right, Paxson, BJ Armstrong, these guys, these floor spacers, man, like yeah, no, I mean they these guys really allowed him to uh, to be who he was because they you know they gave him opportunities more opportunities more space more space to move around mm-hmm. if he could draw the the defense into paying more attention to some of these other guys hey he could eat more everybody can eat yep. you know he oh, figured yeah. that out and that's really what what I think was like the first critical major step he took in mental fitness the gratitude piece bringing it all together to really enable him to like i said become a champion yeah transition to wanting to win those individual battles to wanting to win the team battles and guess what that next year 1990 1991 lo and behold they face the pistons in the eastern conference finals and sweep them four games easy then they he faces magic johnson and James Worthy, Lakers, and lo- after losing game one, boom, win the next four, NBA champion. Just like that. Oof. Just so happens Scottie Pippen starts to develop into an all-star around this time. They go on they, the next year, they win the, the next one. And the, the next one's interesting because they play Portland, and he goes up against the runner-up and the MVP, Clyde Drexler at the time. And people would comment like well we think Clyde may be just as good if not better than Jordan he's a better three-point shooter he's better uh, maybe a better passer maybe a better rebounder guess what he does 
he had an NBA record at the time, three pointers in one half. And MJ was not a three point shooter. That's when he does the shrug. He's like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Yeah. They go on and win another championship. Yep. That's that hit list. He put Clyde Drexler on the hit list. He put the Pistons on the <laughs> hit list. He put everybody on the hit list, man. Gosh, yeah. me. Honestly, man, once the 90s began, I mean, effectively, you know, it just, it was like, it was his. you know, King's Court, Michael Jordan. Uh, I mean, he was king, you know, like yeah. he, he really did just kind of dominate. And I'll tell you what, um, hey, we're going to, you know, continue to talk about this. The world's going to continue to talk about this. You and I, I think we've we've kind of come to a consensus that, you know, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to truly compare great players, right? The, like the legendary Mount Rushmore guys of any sport, because oftentimes you have, you know, people, players, performers that are just, totally different in so many ways not not just to mention their physical gifts and mental gifts um and just sort of their style of playing what they bring to the game but just the era uh in which they played uh, the dynamics of those sports during those times that other players around them and you know how the greatness of, of those other players and how they shaped uh the legacy and There's so many different things. So, you know, for that reason, I would say LeBron, MJ, you know, this this GOAT conversation. Hey, We're already getting into that. No, we're not getting into it, man. I just uh, (laughs) just wanted to, like, you know, give a quick plug to say that it's it's almost one of these things, man, where, um, you know, I just feel like we should just appreciate each legendary great for who they are and what they bring individually. And and with Michael Jordan, one of the things that I, I must say as a person that has seen this person, seen this man at the peak of his powers in real time, right? As a, as a, an aware basketball fan that really cared about the game, a true fan, I've never seen a more dominant force, just a just a more consistently dominant and winning performance or set of performances over a career uh, in really anything else I've ever witnessed, right? Sports, entertainment, whatever you want to, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to look at whatever industry. than, than what this guy had. It, it was, it's just so impressive to me and it's something I've never seen quite the same way at any other point in my life to, 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 to look at a competition between great performers, you know, all, you know, a collective um, game in which all these great performers are, are, are in one arena and to have one guy in this space, just according to the eye test alone, just seems so much better <laughs> and so much more dominant. It was sort of like this thing where at a point in time, I remember I kind of felt almost like bad for the, the competition. Like 
I sort of felt like it, it was a point in time in his career where he was so great, so dominant that like he just won the game before the game even started. It was like you knew what was going to happen, kind of, and you knew it wasn't just going to be like a win. It was going to be like a statement. You know, it was going to yeah. be maybe even humiliating. Mm-hmm. And certain guys were gonna get their feelings hurt, and he was gonna even talk trash, talk shit, you know, That's... throughout, and just bury him. And then after the game, the post, you know, oh, game gosh. conference, it was just like from start to finish, he was in charge, and it was Michael Dude. Jordan's show. Yeah, and it was bad, and it was just it's just not like that anymore. Dude. <laughs> you know? And it's, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because this is especially around this time, '92. This is like peak of his powers. He's in full swing. And the players, everyone around the league knows now. 1992 Dream Team, you got Magic. You got old Larry Bird. You got Charles Barkley. You got Clyde Drexler's there. You got one of the best basketball teams of all time. You've heard about the scrimmages. But everyone knew who the alpha was. And you get these things circulating where everyone knows, like, don't poke the bear. Like, don't talk shit to Michael because he's he's going to put you on the list and you're going to be done. They had to tell him to ease off Clyde Drexler because he was still talking shit from when he beat him in the finals the year before. And yeah, you could just you tell, like you said, you see what happened to Isaiah. You know? <laughs> he got left off the team. Yikes. So, yeah. So he's built up at this time, 92, 93 off the dream team championship. He's on this pedestal. He's transcended sports. He's up there with Di- princess Diana, the Pope. And the media, large part, builds him up. Beautiful smile, great-looking guy. Obviously amazing at basketball. The face of Nike, Gatorade. If I could be like Mike, oh, yeah. All the, all these different things. And they're going for a three-peat. And he wanted to do something that Magic and Larry Bird never did, and that's win three in a row. Um, but it was a tough year for him. This is right after the Jordan Rules book came out where – there was a lot of heat between him and Horace Grant because they're talking about how Jordan was a good teammate. He wasn't a good person. The gambling, the media gets a hold of this one little flaw that an individual has after they build this individual up, be unhuman and godly. They see one little flaw and they start to tear you down. So he, he, he shut the media out that year. No, that was a was, tough year man, for him. I, you know, we, we, it, we have to, yeah, we have to touch on that for a minute. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like that was uh, that was a glaring part of of this uh, this docu series to me is is how man the the media even the fans at that time it just they, they really objectified his experience uh, the experience of his you know his father's passing um, the experience of just a lot of the personal life struggles that he had you know in various ways. You know, mm-hmm. gambling you mentioned um, they really were, were quite hard uh, uh, in some cases very offensive um, in, in how they handled the narrative around these things and this and is someone who got along really, with yeah what was really um, I thought most compelling to me was this, this juxtaposition that you're describing between on the one hand like this you know, godlike figure uh, where the media praises him and, you know, in performance and and it's very positive and they're very uplifting and, you know, everyone, you know, loves Michael, right? And then, but when he's not performing, right, when he's not at his, at his best, 
when he's not, you know, able to to kind of push through and be that resilient guy he always has been, how quickly people turn. You know, it just it was just really glaring. Yeah, and despite all that, made it to the finals '93, played his buddy Charles Barkley in the Suns. He was game. Chuck was, I think, second in MVP that year. Or no, Chuck won MVP that year. Sorry, excuse me. Add Charles Barkley to the list. What does MJ do? He scores 41 points a game in that finals NBA record. But what does he do? You, you mentioned before that he became more selfless of a teammate. He passed it to John Paxson for the game-winning shot, a clinching game. I think it was game five or six. Yeah. Um, he, you know, I kind of feel like the the negative media attention that he he, he received from you know that point on really which it was just always this kind of like black and white thing with the media i think that became a galvanizing force for him and his teammates i think his teammates were like in that locker room obviously coach jackson um you know who sort of like was the cheerleader influencer but steady kind of stabilizer too Mm -hmm. for jordan you know i think that 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 holding environment that new holding environment they established in the locker room was so important for shielding him in a, in a sense from the media and this bond, you know, that he was developing with these players, you yeah. know, where they were always there, it seemed, you know, when he needed them to be in the, yeah. right, and it, the right time. I'm glad you mentioned Phil Jackson, but it, it kind of came to a head at the end of that year. He was already frustrated with the media. And like you mentioned, his father passed away, tragically was murdered and some of the media took unfair shots trying to link his gambling up with his father's death. And it led to him retiring for the very first time. And the thing Phil Jackson did, Phil Jackson didn't try to talk him out of it. He just had a conversation with him. And what Michael Jordan said is that he just wanted to try to take a step back, spend more time with family and friends. He said he had neglected because of his pursuit of excellence. So that's some mindfulness right there. Um, Some awareness but also I think it had a lot to do with obviously his father dying. He ended up going in to play baseball, which he hadn't played since high school. Um, you mentioned before it was a sport that his father was obsessed with and really wanted him to play. thought he would be better at baseball than, than basketball. And, and, you know, it's interesting too, man, um, how this bond that he had developed with his teammates in that, that first three-year run and obviously the shots that he took, you know, by the media, I really feel like it was like the spirit of all of that, that really kind of like brought the team together and enabled them to be very successful in his absence, right? The team, I think really kind of uh, probably outpaced, uh, outperformed expectations, right? I mean, yeah, they mentioned they were pretty refreshed when he was gone because now Scotty was the alpha of the team, um, a lot well, more friendly <laughs> and relaxed to be around. Yeah. There wasn't always someone like out competing you and, and demeaning you in practice. So yeah, they had a pretty successful season that year. But like you mentioned before, Scotty just couldn't get it done as the alpha at the end of the day. But with regards to, to Michael Jordan, it was almost, it was a moment of mindfulness he had. He took a step back. He, he yeah. honored his father. I truly believe that playing baseball was 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 almost a memorial um, yeah, to his father. It's a, yeah. like to strengthen that bond. It's like, yeah. I'm going to do this for you to honor him. Yeah. And I think getting on a 
a bus playing minor league baseball for the Birmingham Barons was a great it's about as blue as it gets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> get out stuff. of the media, get out of the mm-hmm. spotlight. Granted, he's still paid like a like he, he was before, still getting that bull salary, those fat checks from Nike, but he's just with the boys. He's he slid back to the bottom of the totem pole playing in a sport he hadn't played in in what over ten years. And and guess what? He he batted over two hundred. He had fifty RBIs. He had a pretty damn good season. Yeah, better. Without, yeah, he got better. Yeah, exactly. Well, he couldn't hit a curveball, but I, he, you know, with that work ethic, he if he stuck with it, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I think the most important thing it was a chance for him to reset, to be mindful, and what you said before, to have gratitude. I think in that time he realized how much he missed ba- basketball. Oh, yeah. He missed winning. He missed his teammates. Yeah, and, and winning, you know, above above all of that, you know, I just I just think that it was just a matter of time before he looked at the situation. It was like, man, you know, it's been a couple of years, and you know, I, I don't have anything in it to add to my trophy case, you know. And in, <laughs> in true alpha fashion, he's like, you know, he saw an opportunity. Uh, obviously, when you know it seemed like Scotty wasn't able to to really you know take the mantle. And, uh, you know, guys like what, Hakeem Olajuwon are coming up in the league mm-hmm. and um, Shaquille Clyde's O'Neal and Brittany Hardaway, you know, these guys uh, and, you know, uh, Grant Hill, like, you know, there's some players that were coming into the league around this time that were pretty serious. And uh, I think, you know, the King had to, you know, reclaim the throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how much confidence, by the way, does it take to, to leave a sport that you're just- you just won three championships to go play a sport you're not very good at. How, how secure do you have to be in yourself to to ask for that type of punishment? So, just speaks to his his ability to be confident. Um, so he comes back. He comes back in shortened season, and he's rusty. He just doesn't have it. His body had changed when he's playing baseball. He put on more weight to his legs to create power. So he has to get his body back, and that just speaks more to his resilience because he worked hard at it, and that led them into another three peat. And this three-peat is, I think, signified by, obviously, he still had pretty good athletic ability, but he wasn't the athletic stud he was that first three-peat. But he, like you mentioned before, his mental fitness game, 100. Through the roof, man. Yeah, and he, he even said it in in, in sort of like this, uh, I think it was sort of towards the end of episode 10, um, when he was, it was kind of almost like an, an unveiling um, of of a masterpiece you know he's sort of sitting there in his rocking chair <laughs> uh in his home you know with his uh his glass of bourbon and you know it's just he's just like look the key to rings number four five and six the sort of second go around was i realized uh early on in my career that I could dominate the game physically, um, but what I, I needed, you know, to sort of take things to the next level in my career was to to now be able to master the game mentally, right, uh, from a mental focus standpoint. And at that point, you know, that's when he became a craftsman. Uh, mm-hmm. That's when he became someone that really, no matter what the situation entailed, he was able to 
find a strategy, you know, find a, uh, yeah. a way to overcome. And it's insane. This is someone who that after that, um, the summer before he ended up winning that, the first of the second set of three championships, it's film and space jam. And <laughs> he brought everyone out to run fives out in LA. Reggie Miller was on the come up back then. Alan Houston, all these different guys. And you know what he was doing? He wasn't just getting back into shape. They built him a basketball court, but he was taking notes in his head. He was analyzing. Like he was sizing all, all these guys up. Okay, this is this is the competition. This is how you have to go through. This is a guy that that put in the work, not just the physical work, the mental work, but also he was using the analytics before it was a thing, trying to figure out everyone's weaknesses and strengths and oh, how, yeah. how could he exploit them. This is someone that's looking at all angles to win. How can I win at all angles? It's not it's not just the physical stuff that's going to get me over the top. And he, and and speaking to what you said earlier, he became more and more tolerant of his teammates he trusted them more and more and i think it helped that paxton hit the game winning shot in 93 and then you have the second version of paxton steve kerr and then sub out horace grant who their relationship had fractured and bring in dennis rodman wild card dennis rodman upgrades um but he's ready they all fell he was ready man. Yeah. he had his horses he was ready uh he's ready for the takeover and you know it was beautiful um, but there's one thing I, yeah. I wanted to mention about his relationship with Scotty Pippen. He mentioned that Scotty came from a really small program, I think central Arkansas. And Michael Jordan was cognizant that, Hey, you didn't have the luxury of going to a program in North Carolina. So during those first few years of Scotty's career, he really took him by his side and taught him everything he knew. Um, so you got to give MJ credit for polishing Pippen. Obviously you give Pippen credit because he did the work as well, but this is Pippen was right there by his side this entire time. And, and, and MJ helped. He was a leader, helped him along. He did, man. Uh, and I think when you um, take into consideration, like how he was able to to just sort of just like almost like a blueprint, right, for for a home, you know, just pretty much come back onto the scene, right, get the pieces that he needed you know, all together and just, right, just like that, just start, you know, winning mm -hmm. championships again. Yeah. Uh, just like, you know, just like the good old days. It, it, was, it was very impressive. Um, it's kind of interesting. He, uh, when they lost, when he first came back against, I think it was the, they got beat by the Magic, Penny Hardaway and Shaq, like you said. And he said like, oh, we're just a weak rebounder away, a power forward away. And that's when they got Rodman in the off season. And, yeah. Credit to his his flexibility. Michael Jordan started. He always communicated by. He was a strong communicator based off his work ethic, led by example. I'm the first one in the gym. I'm the last to leave. I'm not going to ask you to do anything I don't. But he started verbally praising Rodman more, to verbally praising Pippen more because he knew he needed them now more than ever. He couldn't shoulder the load completely in his older age, and that that's that's the one thing he was adaptable. He had all the tools and skills and he was adaptable and that speaks to the, his mental fitness. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I just love how the, the theme through and through uh, with, with Jordan's career, uh, you know, and, and, and it kind of connects with something you said earlier about the way that he studied his opponents, right? And started sort of like learning things about them to give himself an edge or an advantage. And now, learning his teammates, right, to figure out how to, what little things can I do differently, right, to, to, 
elevate their game and make sure they're going to be game ready. And, you know, now he's thinking kind of rather than just one step ahead with this very tactical focus, right? Now he's thinking more like two and three steps ahead, which is more of a strategic focus, a longer term focus. This is how you, you can see that there was this transformation from being a, you know, reliable, great performer to now resilient, great performer. Like he's able to think, right, the game so many steps ahead. He's playing chess, you know, he's not playing checkers anymore. And, and that's really, you know, uh, what I think is, is so interesting and incredible about this mindset, you know, about how he worked, about the development, the evolution. And, and, and really how all the while it's with a blue collar, hard work, right? Hard hat mentality in terms of like, what edge, right, do I have? How can I get it? What, what, you know, what are the little things that the small ways that I can, you know, make an impact, right, to, to, to have the outcome that I need to have? Right. When I have, you know, really the the weight of the world on my shoulders. Oh, that's, man. Like that's we what said, it's about. most famous person in the world at this time. So you're right. Yeah. And he always went back to that foundation of hard work, tried and true. Like he knew that if I just put in the work, I'm going to get this done. And that's what he did. And it reminds me of that it, Bon Jovi track, you know, that living on a prayer, you know, and nope. just that. You know what I mean? This those like good old fashioned American values, man. Just yeah. like, hey, you know, it's like all this pressure. In all action. This pressure, you know what I mean? But hey, I gotta give it all I got. Yeah. Right? It showed up time and time again. You saw it in the the flu game. What was yeah. it? Game five of the nineteen ninety seven yeah. playoffs. Fucking crushed it against uh, he ate bad pizza it wasn't the flu game, it was the food poisoning game. Right. And fifteen points in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Like, come on now. And man, and then the 98, the, what the whole docu-series was about, they didn't have Pippen half the year. So what did he do? He buttered up Dennis Rodman. So he, so Dennis Rodman increases rebounding from 13 a game the year before to 17 a game. Yeah. And Pippen comes back. And Jordan had to put in a lot of effort. He's at this point in his career, what is he, like 36 years old? He's having to put in a lot more effort this season, playing 39 minutes a game at, at 35 years old, excuse me. And Scotty doesn't come back till January. And they, they had the best record in the NBA that year, still tied with the, with the Jazz. And it's all shown in that last sequence, that last 45 seconds of game six in the 1998 finals against the Jazz in Salt Lake. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, that, that was sort of the, the finishing touches on the masterpiece, you know, um, dude, the tongue out drive, yeah, the steal on Carl Malone, and the game-winning jump shot, and the follow-through, <sighs> right? With oh, swag. Follow- oh, he had lost With his swag. legs. He was dead you tired. Know? He had short. He had like pulled the string on all the ones before, <laughs> yeah. and he's tickets on his tiptoes. Oh, yeah, man, the pronation, boom, exactly, yeah, and uh, dude, it was almost like it was. Uh, meant to be, you know, they, you know yeah. he, had, he had sort of envisioned that moment, you know, maybe several nights before that. Right? I think we all envisioned it. There's a kid in the stands already putting up six fingers. Yeah. He's ready to go. Like, 
we we all knew he was going to make that shot. We all we knew did. That he was going to win. It was it was kind of like a moment of mindfulness for us all, right? Yeah, exactly. It like all along, like we haven't even mentioned the fact that this is someone that that I've read like was smoking six cigars a day. He'd play fifty four holes of golf the day before a game. Wasn't scared of the booze, uh, gambling obviously, and still. It didn't matter once he walked onto that court. He was going to beat no, you. No, yeah. I mean, and credit, you know, his mental fitness. I mean, you know, it, it's it's when when you're not at, at your physical best, right? Um, when you you know not not at your physical peak performance. Um, you you know, it's like, God, all the you know, Kobe talks about this, right? All the rehearsal, all the practice, all the reps. I mean. You know, you, you win the game in your mind before you step on the floor. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, there's not much else to say. He was obviously an icon off the floor. Jordan Brand, like we mentioned, Gatorade, McDonald's, Haynes. I love my Jordans. I got some Jordan 1s, some 5s. <laughs> I know people that have been killed over some Jordans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're serious. serious. I mean... Yeah, my fiance no. hates when a new pair of shoes comes in the mail but this is someone that and now he owns the charlotte hornets and who would have thought this this young kid from rural north carolina would become such a legend and have this legacy yeah no i mean it's uh it's, it's pretty incredible but but it's cool to to, to kind of talk about and, and and have a conversation around what the building blocks were and how it all came together um mm -hmm. and it's really really cool to to kind of see how michael jordan's legacy uh really captures uh the legacy of mental fitness yeah in such a, an amazing way yeah and it's like obviously there's a lot of things that came innately to michael jordan he was fortunate to have this strong family structure to help build upon these innate strengths that he had. But yeah, he had resilience and that was tested time and time again. And, and he, the great thing about him was that he, he continued to build upon that resilience. He just didn't settle with the resilience he had as a young child when he got cut from the varsity team as a sophomore. He continued to face challenges and continued to build upon that. Oh yeah, no, that's the key, man, is the flexibility, you know, and with with balance comes flexibility, control, and and then stability, right? And you and, mentioned control. Yeah. So the one thing he could control, and we talked about it, was the work ethic. Yeah. So he had this intrinsic motivation that's unlike anyone we've ever seen with regard to winning. We talk about this passion for competition, this drive, this intrinsic motivation. His motivation was to win to beat to win the competition it wasn't to make money it wasn't to become uh, a, to own a team someday it wasn't to be liked by the media or to be liked by people it was to win at all costs and that's, that was, what, he that's did. what it always came down to i mean those other things mattered in various degrees but mm -hmm. that's what you could rely on with him is that that's, that's always that's where he priority, you know he put all his eggs into that basket and that's when yeah. situations came up where they'd want People wish Jordan took more of a politically active stance on different things. Um, and people would say maybe he didn't do that because he didn't. He Republicans buy sneakers too, right, is what he said. <laughs> but at the end of the day, 
he always stuck to what he knew and that was hard work towards his craft yeah. towards his goal of, of winning and yeah. winning competition. And I think the beauty of Mark Jordan for me, what I, his legacy for me is what we've talked about this hard work and this hard work pays off. If you can always take accountability and control your work ethic and put forth the hard work, do the dirty work to reach your goal, then nothing's going to get in your way. Right. That's right. It's just it's a matter of time at that point. Just a matter of time. And that ultimately, and that's what's instilled in him from his family at a very young age. And it's something that he took probably to a level that no one else has ever touched. His work ethic, unreal, unmatched. Unparalleled, yeah. His legacy it epitomizes John Wooden's pyramid of success that we talked about. His, his famous quote about competitive greatness be at your best when the best is needed and enjoyment of a difficult challenge. Uh, Did you ever like peace? My, yeah. MJ looked like he was having so much fun, oh, whether it's did. on the basketball court or on the and golf that's what course was so scary. Cards. Right? That's what was, that's what I think really threw people off is like, you know, this guy shouldn't be taking that this much pleasure in this stuff. It's like, it's like really that's, that's how you win the, the mental game, you know, Mm-hmm. And you can take pleasure in the performance when you have self-awareness, right? You, you, you know who you are. You know what you bring to the table. You practice every day, right? You're in it to win it every day. You're dedicated. You're committed. You're focused. And then you reap the rewards. The rewards come mm-hmm. as you get better. You get better. You start making your teammates better. You start winning and, you know, this gratitude, you know, really starts to to take hold and in terms of appreciation for the experience and the moment and then confidence ensues. And that just has this life cycle of its own, you know, it really does. And clearly uh, it did for for Michael Jordan and, uh, you know, his legacy just defines all of that. Yep, it's it's beautiful. He he captures everything we've talked about from resilience, mindfulness, gratitude, passion for competition, that intrinsic motivation, being a good communicator, not necessarily verbally, but more so leading by example, someone who's self-aware, even in the documentary, what I think it was at the end of either five or six, um, where he choked up when he was talking about how people gave him a really hard time for being yeah. a bad teammate. And he said something along the lines of, that's probably because you haven't won anything. You don't know what it takes. And he choked up and he told him to stop the keep rolling because he, he I mean, he's human. He, he, he's not a sociopath. He does care what other people think. Um, that's why he got emotional choice. in that moment. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, that's why he got teared up in that moment. But he prioritized winning. Um, he knew that it, it was, wasn't without costs, but at the end of the day, you have people like Ron Harper saying that he, it was so much sweeter being just a cog uh, on a winning team rather than being a superstar on a weak team. He was the defensive specialist for the Bulls before that. He was the number one guy for, for the teams previously. You have guys like Rodman who speak glowingly of Michael Jordan. You have Scottie Pippen who also speaks glowingly. And, and MJ was not easy on these guys at all. Um, you have Phil Jackson no, it wasn't, man. About how great of a team and, you know, what's interesting about those guys, too, is, I mean, those guys are great players of a, of a certain era, um, a certain era of sports, a certain era of basketball. And, you know, what's interesting um, also about 
the last dance docuseries is you know that it, it does i think offer to current basketball fans and sports fans and you know fans of great performance around the world this interesting glimpse into sort of the old world in a sense of of the nba and, and, and nba players and that older generation and kind of their values when they were about and now that we're in 2020 right 20 years later we see how much things have changed right i mean we see how you really have now we're in the midst of this player empowerment movement we've talked about many times and you know lebron james of course uh being the leader the you know the alpha dog of this this era um you know has probably been you know the greatest player for the last decade um, he's the face of basketball. You know, he's the face of the international brand of basketball, the global brand. You know, he's he's all of this, and um, very different guy, very very different person than Michael Jordan. Um, completely different set of experiences, development, definitely, and through his yeah. career. He definitely represents this era really well. This era, um, exactly. So he's. A, He's an individual in himself, um, but he's also representation of the era. And I think this era is, you have a lot of different individuals who have different priorities. Yeah. Um, because of the advancements of social media, everyone kind of has their, a little entrepreneurial flavor to them. Yeah, they all have our own, own businesses. Brand, and, yeah. yeah. You know? So there's so much different factors nowadays. And ooh, I think we should, uh, maybe there's a little comparing and contrasting we should do. I know everyone's been doing it, but we can, I think, bring our own flavor to it. You mentioned so that too. developmental piece. I think that developmental piece contrasting LeBron and Michael Jordan is, there's a lot of contrast there. Hey, that's the key. Might be fun to dive in. That's the key to the puzzle. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think this great legendary last dance performance deserves an act two analysis by the Sports Ds podcast. So, you know, definitely stay tuned. Mm -hmm. right but on. final thoughts, man, on this, um, you know, as we, get, we, we close. So for me, I mentioned before, the one, the biggest takeaway I have with regards to Jordan's legacy is that hard work pays off. This is someone who came from a small town, African-American guy who became someone that anyone, everyone in the world wanted to be. There was a whole slogan, if I could be like Mike. Mm -hmm. So that hard work and also that insane drive just to win. Those yeah. are my takeaways. What about you? What, what yeah, are your man. takeaways from his legacy? Um, my takeaways when it comes to, to what makes him so special um, for me is this notion of his ability to be completely honest with himself, right? Honest with himself, true to himself, true to his values and principles, right? Honest with not only himself, but everyone else around him, right? To the point where, you know, he came into a room, any room, any competition, and he knew who he was and everyone else did too, right? And once he became a champion, that always carried over, right? He stepped on the floor, he knew he was a champion and so did his competition. And that, you know, that, mm. that honesty, that self-awareness, mm. right? That was so important for enabling him to have that that intrinsic source of motivation, right? That independent source of motivation, right? That, that he needed to have 
in order to, to be the leader that he was of a great dynasty, in order to bear that burden, right? It's all about integrity. And it comes together packaged very neatly with, you know, this hard work and, and dedication and passion and drive that you're talking about with this notion of autonomous motivation, right? Autonomous motivation where you can generate the will to win on your own, right? You don't need an external motivator, a reward, money, cars, whatever, right? It's just, it just comes from within. And that's what I love about MJ. Yeah. His reward was the feeling he got inside from just beating someone, yeah. from just winning. That's right. And that's, and that's what it, and, he didn't and, need a trophy. And it makes sense, right? Because when you were in the gym, practicing your ass off after hours, getting it in, you know, the, the blood, sweat and the tears, you know, it, it's, it's, in, it's the process in the end, right? Yeah. It's the process that is so valuable. The hard work, what you put into it. Why in the world would you be the, if you're as good as MJ, why would you be winning when you're doing full court sprints, beating all your teammates in practice, doing suicides? Why would you be playing horse after practice and beating all your teammates? Why would you play, be playing cards and wanting to beat all your teammates? Like you're not, what's, what's the benefit in that? No one's watching. He just wanted to do it to win. That's that intrinsic, that aut autonomous motivation. Whew. And, ooh. And at the end of the day, I think the fact that he, his whole life, the totality of his career and his life is just this giant example of the hard work, the drive, the autonomous motivation. I think that is something that so many different people, not only just me and you have fed off of, I want to work harder because of watching this documentary and knowing someone like Michael Jordan exists. I want to work hard that is going to have, that's his legacy. That's going to be everlasting. everlasting. That's yeah, global. Sure. That's transcendent. Those are the actions. I think ultimately that speak louder than words. Those Ooh, are, those are yeah. meaningful actions that people can see throughout the entire world and country and know that if I work my ass off and I develop this type of drive and intrinsic motivation, I can accomplish anything. And there's, there's nothing more powerful than that. In my opinion, nothing more powerful, man. And, and actions always speak louder than words, you know, so why not, you know, end uh, a great career, great legacy with the last dance. All right. So with that, man. All right, man. How about uh, we, uh, we end the stigma. And continue the conversation. Absolutely.